My title is Thriving in a Painful Reality. Thriving in a Painful Reality. I'm choosing a verse from a prophet, Isaiah, and, he ha- and Isaiah writes in chapter 54 of Isaiah, the book, chapter 54, verse 1, Sing, barren woman, you who never bore a child, burst into song, shout for joy, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. What a year this last 12 months has been. The 2020 into 2021, it's been something that we'll never forget. And many are still suffering this pandemic. And it was great to pray uh, for India today and the nations of the world. You know, we need, you know, we need the whole world uh, in a safe place. Today, I I want to speak not only to those who have been suffering in this pandemic, but you may have have come uh, into this service today from a painful reality that just isn't shifting from your life. We heard a testimony from from James this morning of of a painful reality, a season in his life where he was just stuck in that pain. And you may be in that experience today. How do you cope how do you live? Let me just take a couple of minutes because I really do love the Bible and I want to give you some background to this verse. I want you to understand some things which are truly quite remarkable uh, of what God has done in His Word. So let's just look at the book of Isaiah, which is made up of two sections. Just like the Bible is made up of two sections, Old Testament and New Testament. But what's quite exciting, extraordinary, amazing, is that the first section of Isaiah has 39 chapters, just like the Old Testament has 39 books. The second section of Isaiah has 27 chapters, just like the New Testament has 27 books. And it starts, that second section in chapter 40 starts with a message that says, a voice calling in the wilderness. Just like at the start of our Gospels in the New Testament, we have John the Baptist mirroring that, a voice calling in the wilderness. It's just fun. It's just remarkable. It's just God just having a wonderful way within his word. And in between the chapters of 39 and 40, where they flip into a second section, there is a gap of 150 years. And during that 150-year period, Isaiah dies. And so what we have in chapter 40 to the end of the book, chapter 66, you have a prophet who God uses to speak 150 years ahead of time. 
That's so remarkable, so miraculous, that some people have said, well, that's just totally, that can't have happened. It must have been somebody else. But you and I, as followers of Jesus, know that God is an impossible working God. And it's quite easy for God to speak a prophetic word 150 years in time, because he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And the New Testament, whenever it quotes from Isaiah, it always says, and Isaiah said, whether it's in the first section or the second section. But I haven't got time to tell you what happened in those, uh, that whole 150 years, except for one interesting detail, and that is that the Jewish commentary, commentary of their Talmud, the Jewish Talmud commentary, which is an application of their scriptures, tells the story of a particular wicked king called Manasseh who brought a hollow tree trunk and put Isaiah into that tree trunk and then had Isaiah killed by it being sawn into, into logs for the wicked Manasseh's fire. And when you go into the New Testament, and when it speaks about the people of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, it says that there were some who were sawn in two, and that's most probably referring to this man, Isaiah. The Babylonians at this time have flattened Jerusalem, and they have taken the people of God into their uh, land, into what is now known as Iraq, into exile. And in Babylon, these people of God are suffering, and they find it difficult to practice their faith. So God tells them, I'm going to rescue you and bring you back. Now, Isaiah preachers prophesies, he speaks 150 years ahead to a people that he doesn't know in a nation that he's never been to, and he starts to see things about, well, he terms it as the suffering servant. It refers to Jesus Christ, the Messiah to come, and he speaks about the people of God, especially returning home, and it's into that context which I give you that I have chosen to bring one verse, one thing of what he said, and that's Isaiah 54, sing barren woman, you who never bore a child, burst into song, shout for joy, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Isaiah is painting a picture of a woman who has no children, no husband and no home. This is the picture of the people of God and in particularly the scene of the ruined city of Jerusalem that was flattened by the enemy. Now though this is not the case thankfully for our culture, but Jerusalem and the people of God looks like a woman who has been robbed of the three essentials of life. If you are in a painful reality today, this message is for you. If you know someone who's in a painful reality, you need to take this message and give it to them. What I want to say to you firstly is this, and I speak primarily to those who follow Christ. 
but not exclusively. Because if you are not yet following Christ, I want to let you know that there will be seasons still ahead of you of painful reality, but you can thrive in it. The first thing I want to say to you is this, that you need to be people who dig out hope, dig out hope in the contradiction of that season. Hebrews 12 says, consider him that endured, consider him, that's Jesus Christ, that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Can we come to the cross of Jesus for a moment? You see, the cross is two pieces of wood that are running contrary to each other. Imagine again the cross of Jesus. The cross of our life is our thoughts that are crossing God's thoughts, our will that crosses His will, our desired answers crossing God's given answers. It is the cross that we are called to carry today which says, not my will, but yours be done. God allows times in your life, my life, when there are contradictions. But when you look at the cross of Jesus Christ on that Friday, when you look at that place of the cross, when you imagine it, we are people who are post-resurrection people, so we understand this very quickly. But when you, when you look at the cross of Jesus, you can look and say, wow, that's a contradiction. But when you dig deeper into it, as the songs that we've been singing this morning reveal, you find that right at the center of that con contradiction is hope. It's this purpose. There's a plan. There's a destiny. There's not a desertion, but there is a future at the center of that contradiction, and you have to dig it out. Question, are you going to become a broken man and woman under the hand of God and replicate the suffering servant, your Lord Jesus, or will you become bitter and angry and complaining and moaning and grumbling about, about your situation? That's a question that you have to answer. Stephen was stoned and died, but Paul was stoned and lived. Philip was supernaturally transported, but Paul was shipwrecked and snake-bitten. Peter walked on water. Paul was drowning for three days in water. James was beheaded. Peter was released. How do you explain these things when it's going right over here, but for you, us over here, it's going really wrong? Jeremiah in chapter 8 says, We hoped for peace, but no good has come. For a time of healing, but there is only terror. That can be said of us all. We all hope for the best. We all want our situations to be perfect, or at least better than they are. 
it is true of what we want, not just for ourselves, but what we want for our friends and our loved ones. And so we don't want them to face a painful reality, even though it may be seasonal. And so we stand in front of them and we declare faith things. You will be healed and you will not have pain and, and, and you, you, will, you will get get over this and it will be gone now. And we say all these things because we, we just don't want this painful reality. But what if we are wrong, friends? What if it is that actually right now for some of you that Jesus wants you to pick up the cross and follow him and have a season of contradiction in your life, but he wants you to dig out the hope that's in that place? What if God wants you to live in a contradiction? Jeremiah says in, verse, in chapter 23, this is what the Lord says, do not listen to what the prophets are prophesying to you. They fill you with false hopes. They speak visions from their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They keep saying to those who despise me, the Lord says you're going to have peace. And to all who follow the stubbornness of their hearts, they say, no harm will come to you. But which of them has actually stood in the counsel of the Lord to see or hear his word? Rhetorical question, no one. Who has listened and heard his word? Friends, it may well be that there are people today who are listening to this message. You are looking at me this morning, and you are going through some difficulty. And I'm saying to you is this. That may be right now the contradiction that God in his sovereignty has allowed to happen in your life as a follower of Jesus. But in the center of it all, there is hope. Jim Collins wrote a book called Good to Great, and he had an interview with one of the, one of the greatest modern admirals in, uh, in the U.S. military, Jim Stockdale. He was, the, he was uh, famous for being the leader uh, of the army that went into the Hanoi Hilton. That's what it was called. It was a prisoner of war uh, concentration camp, terrible place during the Vietnam War. In the eight years of imprisonment, they were appallingly treated. And Collins asks him a question. Um, and he, and uh, he said to him, he asked Stockdale, he said, who didn't? make it out of the concentration camp. And Stockdale immediately said, that's an easy one. It was the optimists. The optimists. Really? And Stockdale said this. The optimists were the ones who said, we're going to be out of this camp by Christmas. And then Christmas would come and go. We're going to be out of this camp by Easter, and it came and went. Thanksgiving, and then Christmas came round again. And these people died of a broken heart. He then turned to Collins and said this. This is a very important lesson. You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the brutal facts of your current reality, whatever that might be. And 
the Apostle Paul knew this, and that's why he says in Philippians 2.12, continue to work out, work it out, your salvation. Dig deep, and maybe today you are having to dig deep into being a follower of Jesus and what you believe about God and your experience of Him because your reality is painful. And you need to say, I'm not, this is not, this is not wasted season. This is not just a time when He's just left me. I know there's hope in this and I'm going to dig this out and I will find a purpose for going forward. Dig out hope from a reality that you may be blind to that needs sorting. So the contradiction that you find it yourself in is a painful reality that you can't ignore. You can't just turn your head away from it. Pretend it's not there. You need to dig deep because inside the contradiction there is a lesson. There is something that God is trying to communicate to you. There's a message from heaven and if you are blind to it, if you ignore it, if you try and run away from it, you may be running away from the greatest lesson that God has ever taught you. The cross, the contradiction, friends. And that is for Isaiah that you can sing though you are barren and you have nothing to sing about. But you do have decisions to make. And the second point I want to say is this. Yes, dig out your hope. Dig out the reason. Dig out of the contradiction. But secondly, make the right choice. You don't need a lot of Bible knowledge to know that what I'm talking about here from Isaiah, what it's referring to, is about a story of Sarah, the wife of Abraham, and her barrenness. Now, let me just take you quickly into that story. How does she move from a part in Genesis chapter 11 where where, where, where uh, where, where the writer says, now Sarah was childless because she was not able to conceive. How does she move from that painful reality to chapter 21, where uh, it says, Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, just as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time that God had promised. How does she move from that chapter, painful reality, chapter 11, to 21, where it's brilliant? Well, she moves through that through a season of making the right choice but after she made the bad choice. And today, season of painful reality, you do have a choice. You can make the right choice or the bad choice. You have a choice. You can make it worse for yourself or you can make a good choice. Let me explain to you. Let me take you to Genesis 16. Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Hmm. So sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarah said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. Let me just unpack that really, really briefly. What did she do with the painful reality of her life? What will you do with your painful reality? You will make a better choice than what she was making. Her choice was this. In verse 2, she blamed God. God, why are you doing this to me? God, what have you God, you've kept this. Look at everybody around me. Look how blessed they are. But for me, I'm going through a really tough time. Thank you for, no, for nothing, God. She blames God. 
And if you're not blaming God today, you can blame your neighbor, you can blame the person you're living with, you can blame everybody for what you can become a victim of the whole world against you. You can carry the world on your shoulders and you can look really miserable through the whole season of your painful reality. That's what she chose. Secondly, she spoke negatively, not just to herself, not just towards God, but to her husband. She spoke and influenced her husband to go and do something outrageous. Verse 3, she moves in her own strength. She says, we're going to sort this out. We're going to deal with this painful reality. God's not moving, so let's fix it. Bad choices. There are choices to make in a place where choice seems limited, but there are still choices, wrong choices and right choices. Job says in, in, in chapter 13, though he slay me, I'm going to make a choice. Though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. It's a right choice. Let me tell you about a girl, a Jewish girl, a Dutch Jewish girl in Amsterdam, her name, Etty Illesem, in the late 1930s. She had an, ambi an ambition to be a writer. She was captured by the Nazis, and she could have gained her freedom, but she stayed. She decided to stay with her people to help them as much as she could. Her journals record a woman who, on the outside, had nothing to give, but on the inside, she was beauty personified to her soul. And she gave herself to pray. That was her choice. I will pray through this season. I will just give myself to intercession, to intimacy, and to know the presence of God. That's, what I, that's why you are on the right track in this church, in the sense of we are still in this difficult period of time, and you may have your own painful realities. The best thing that any church can do is to give themselves to the intimacy and the uh, intercession of the presence of God. That's what she did. And she wrote one thing in the journal that stood out for me. Nothing can happen to me. Oh, when you get to that place within your painful reality and you say, I'm going to choose the right choice and out of my mouth is going to come before you a prayer. Nothing can happen to me, God. Why? Because sometimes when I stand in the corner of this hell, of this camp, my feet planted on your earth, uh, my eyes raised towards your heaven, tears are running down my face, God, tears of deep emotion and gratitude, such a wonderful prayer. The, the more that her suffering came upon her, uh, making her feel hopeless, the more hope shone within her because every single day she made the right choice. She wrote this, by excluding death from our life, we cannot live a full life. By admitting death into our life, we enlarge it and enrich it. Where do these words come from? She chose the right thing. She chose God. She chose intimacy. Her final words were written, and this is the reason why I choose this illustration. The final words that she ever wrote on this earth were written when she was thrown into wagon 12, heading to Auschwitz, and she knew she was going to her death. And she wrote on a quick postcard, and, she, and it was thrown outside of the wagon. And on those words were simple words saying this, we left camp singing. It's the right choice. 
a choice made in a painful reality. And it's a choice that you and I still have to make. Let's not be afraid to focus on the contradiction of our lives. Let's not bury our head in the sands, pretend it's not there, or say some things that are very glib and very flaky and very shallow. But let's address that reality, but do it with the right choice, that this is the choice I'm making today. And one choice that this girl shows us is to focus upon our God. The third thing I want to say to you is this. Yes, you've got to dig out the hope of your contradiction. It is there, just like it is in the cross of Jesus, demonstrating to us that whatever you're going through, there is hope in it. You've got to get digging into that place and realize that God has not left you, that God has brought you through, and so far he'll bring you through again. Secondly, you've got to make the right choice. And the third thing is this. Have confidence to see what cannot be seen right now. But have confidence to see it. Shout for joy, you who were never in labor, because more are the children. Where are those children? More are the children of the desolate woman than those who have a husband. Where are these children? It's seeing in the invisible. It's seeing the hand of God in a place where all around you, all you see is pain. Can you see the reality of the invisible? Let me tell you a little story. Hebrews eleven twenty seven says, By faith Moses left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. He saw the king. He saw Egypt. They were what everybody was seeing. Friends, if you're in a painful reality, most people can see it. It doesn't take anybody special to see the difficulties in your life. But it takes something special. It takes you and me digging out, making the right choice to say, you know what, it's not about only what I see. It's about what I'm not seeing that I want to put my confidence in. And Moses had his hope in the one who is unseen. And as a result, confidence rose within him to say, you know what, I'm not going to go under. I'm going to go through this. Now, let me tell you a story about an amazing painting. It was once displayed in the Louvre Art Museum. It was uh, in France. It was called Checkmate. It's now in private hands. It was bought at Christie's in 1999. You'll see the picture there of this painting. It depicts two chess players. If you've ever seen it, it's an amazing painting, and it's got a great little story attached to it. One player is Satan, whom appears arrogantly confident, and then there is this other player who's just looking so downcast, this man who's so saddened um, and, and forlorn. And, and, and if Satan wins, he's going to get the man's soul. He, he, he wins. According to one story, a chess champion visited that museum, saw the painting, and after studying the painting, noticed that there was something wrong, that the arrangement of the chess pieces were, were not correct. According to him, the devil who thought that he was winning was actually, in fact, not winning. The man who thought he was losing was actually not uh, losing. Because according to the pieces on the chessboard, 
The man's king had one more move left to play. And if that king moved to that square, he would win the game. He called the curator, and they determined that the title didn't fit the scene because the saddened, defeated, forlorn-looking player actually had the ability to defeat the present reality and his opponent, Satan, though he obviously didn't realize it. The painting is a lie. His king still has one more move. Amen? Yeah? Are you getting it? Are you understanding this? Maybe I need to help you a little bit more. That You know, there's a story of a 17-year-old boy called Joseph, and he was set on by his brothers, thrown into a well, sold to slavery, checkmate. But the king had one more move. Do you know that story? Do you, are, you trying to, are you understanding what I'm trying to say here? I'm trying to say that those who live with hope have confidence to know that the king of kings always has one more move. I, I don't know if you're understanding what I'm saying, but there was a widow once, a widow of a man from the Elisha school of prophets who lost absolutely everything. She only had one small bottle of oil left. They took everything uh, uh, apart from that, and now they wanted their, her sons as slaves, and checkmate was written all over that woman's life, but she realized that the king has one more move. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Are you getting the point yet? This is the whole thing. Let me tell you another story. I think some of you are not getting it. Thousands of people are following the Jesus team for like for miles and miles and miles, and they're getting hungry and, and more hungrier, and they're in danger of suffering, and they don't have enough money to go and buy food. All they have is five loaves and two fish, but they realize that the king still has one more move. Isn't that an incredible story? And I just want to say to you today, on some people listening to my message, checkmate has been declared over your life, but that has not come from heaven. It's not come from God. It's come from earth and under the earth, and you need to realize that as a follower of Jesus Christ, who is the king of all kings, he always has one more move in your life. Amen? Amen. Do you understand? Those who hope in the Lord will not be disappointed. There's still a move that your king can make. It's not over. And you need to have confidence to see what cannot be seen. And so I close and say this. Sing, barren woman, you who never bore a child, burst into song. Shout for joy. You who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. It is possible. That's my message. It's possible to thrive in your painful reality. There will be some things that you just will not be able to fix this side of heaven. You can't alter what's happened and what's taken place and the consequences of your life. You may not be free from physical pain. The situation just may not change in this season for you. But that's all right. You can still thrive 
You don't have to worry. I don't have a lot of faith. You don't have to worry about that. You don't have to start confessing things that you don't believe in and you don't think you can, it's going to happen. You don't have to go according to man's agenda and to do what they want you to do. You can just stand there and say, I know my God is not going to take me into a contradiction of a painful reality for no reason. There is a reason in the cross of Jesus Christ and there's a reason for me carrying the cross in my life. I will dig out hope. I will make the right choices and I will have confidence in God who I cannot see right now but I know he is here and I will put my trust in him because I know this, that God will never leave me. God will never forsake me and God will always have one more move in my life. Amen? 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 Jesus Thank you, Lord. I'm going to hand back to your pastor in a moment. And he's going to wrap this, wrap this for us and lead us in prayer. But Holy Spirit, take this message and do something glorious in the life of people. In Jesus' name.